boy, and he came to this preacher, and he asked the preacher, preacher, can you, can you lift up my sister at your next prayer meeting? You know, when all you guys get together to pray, can you lift up my sister that, that she'll start to read the Bible? And the minister said, well, of course. And so they went into the prayer meeting and he announced to the prayer group there. He says, you know, little Johnny here, he wants us to pray that his sister will read the Bible. So they all got there and they put their heads down and they started praying. And as soon as they started praying, little Johnny pops up. He's out of there. He's gone. So the next day, you know, the pastor sees him. He says, Johnny, he says, that was really rude. You just like got up in the middle of the prayer meeting as soon as we started praying and you left. He says, well, pastor, he says, I wanted to go home to see my sister pray for the very first time. He had faith. He had faith that that preacher and those people in that prayer meeting didn't have. By the way, I won't be dialing them for my prayer warrior requests. But I have to ask, where was their faith? In whom did they have their faith? And what was their faith and their prayers based on? Because if you're not praying in faith, what are you praying for? Johnny had it right. To pray in faith is to pray with the expectation that your prayer is heard. To pray in faith is to know that God has the power to do what is asked. And to pray in faith relies on the word of God and its truth. So when we study about how to pray in faith tonight, we're going to study what that really means. We're going to examine some of the, 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 the questions about faith and who and the what and the where. And so I hope tonight you guys will be just as blessed as I was as the Lord shared all these thoughts with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now, Lord, in faith. Just trusting you, Lord, that you will guide and direct us, Father, uh, according to um, your will and your word, Father, as to how you want us to come before you, Lord, in confidence and trust that you are who you are and that you will do what you say you will do, Lord, and that we can rest in that, Father, without question and without doubt. So, Lord, we just ask now that you just open your word to us, you open your your mind to us, Lord, and just teach us to pray in faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you know, if you guys didn't get the or hear her introduction, Kathy did an awesome job on uh, the introduction to this whole series about uh, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, if you weren't there for that very first week that we met, I really encourage you to go online. You can download or listen directly to her study, or you can probably still get a copy of it upstairs on a CD. But I would just encourage you because she set the stage for us by asking a couple of questions. She asked, what is prayer? Why is prayer important? And what can hinder prayer? And Kathy told us that prayer is simply talking to God. It's having a conversation, that it's a privilege, and that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been given access to God based on who he is, not on who we are or anything that we've done or can do. And then Noreen shared that prayer was a gift and a powerful spiritual weapon, that it opens the door to God's rich resources for us, and that it is able to soften hearts and to move mountains. And she walked us through the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 6. 
So after going through those two weeks with those ladies, we now should understand that prayer is simply talking to our Father God about how important it is in our lives to be able to come to him in prayer, that there are things that can hinder prayer, and that the pattern for prayer that addresses God's unlimited resources is for us to use. Jesus gave us those examples. So now we can move into our lesson tonight about how to pray in faith. And I'm just going to go back to what Kathy did, and I'm going to ask you guys three questions. The first one is, how does faith function when we pray in faith? The second question is, who is our focus when we pray in faith? And then the third question is, where is our foundation when we pray in faith? And I'm going to, as I read through the passages of this account, as you found in your lesson this week, it's, it's through several gospels, three gospels, but I'm going to use a, a compilation of the whole narrative so it just goes one in one smooth reading and we don't miss anything. So I'm going to start. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that Jesus came to the disciples and he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? And if you know the setting of this this particular scenario, um, they had just come off of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John uh, had to be on a spiritual high, I'm thinking, just coming after having witnessed Jesus and all his Shekinah glory, speaking with Moses and Elijah. These were the hero prophets of the Old Testament. And they heard during that time the voice of God speaking to them, saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And I'm just thinking, you know, like when we come from a retreat or a really good speaker, you're on a spiritual rush, you know, initially. You just come off that mountaintop, if you will, of having heard something or seen something that really, really moved you. But when they came down off the mountain, as we all have to do, uh, they were there to find a very disappointing sight. Jesus saw his disciples in the middle of a very public squabble with the scribes, and that had to be a big downer for him, I'm sure. The scribes, as you may know, were always challenging Jesus and the disciples. They were the experts on the Torah, or the law books of the Old Testament, and those covered Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they were the lawyers, if you will, in the Jewish religious pecking order. They were always trying to trip up Jesus and his disciples on some legal aspect of scripture. They constantly tried to exercise authority over the scriptures scriptures with the author of the scriptures, which I always thought was a very foolish thing for them to do. Why would you challenge the person who wrote what you claim to be such an expert on? But this, in this scenario, was one of those times, again, where they're challenging the disciples. So Jesus asks the scribes, what's all the fuss about? But before they can answer him, a desperate father was done with their arguing and pettiness. And I just had this image in my head of the presidential debates. (laughs) You know, no questions really being answered. (laughs) People just picking at each other and being very petty, and it's very unproductive. 
So that was what I was thinking. But this is what happened. It said, then suddenly a man from the multitude came to him, kneeling down to him and crying out, saying, Lord, teacher, I implore you, have mercy on my son who has a mute spirit, for he is my only child. He is an epileptic and suffers severely. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It throws him down and convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And then it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. And I can only imagine the frustration this father felt while he watched this spectacle of these scribes arguing and bickering and going on, where all he wanted to do was to get some help for his son. I think that I would probably have felt much like he did and just said enough of this nonsense because he, he couldn't take it anymore. Luke tells us in his, um, his account that this distressed dad suddenly cries out from the crowd. And suddenly here means, uh, it's translated behold. Or in our day and time, we would probably say, bam, stop it, quit it, don't do this anymore. This dad urgently needed to be heard by Jesus. He was fed up with the useless bickering between the scribes and the disciples, and he was beside himself for the sake of his son. So he breaks down and kneels at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was one of the prayer postures that Kathy talked about in her study in the introduction. This discouraged dad began his prayer to Jesus on his knees. And um, when I read this passage, it brought to mind a worship song that is a favorite of mine. It's, it, it goes, down on my knees, O Lord, is the most high place. This father got on his knees and prostrated himself at the feet of Jesus because there was no higher place that his prayers could rise than the throne room of heaven. But we have to come humbly and bow down before the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging his power and authority and our desperate dependence on him. He is the one who enables us to rise above our circumstances, but only through our humility. Psalm 147, 6 says, the Lord lifts up the humble. James 4.10 and 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourselves in the sight and under the mighty hand of the Lord God, and he will lift you up in due time. And humility is not only our physical posture, ladies, but it's also the posture of our hearts, telling the Lord we are totally submitted and surrendered to him. Through humility, our prayers soar to heaven and to the ears of our Savior. Matthew records this dad calling Jesus Lord, and the Greek word for that is kurios, which means master, one having power, God, Messiah. This is the first sign that this father had faith in the person as well as the power of Jesus Christ. Somehow he knew there was hope in the name and the authority of Jesus. Faith was already at work in the prayers of this anguished parent. So he approaches Jesus with reverence and with humility. But there's a large crowd, if you will, a mob that has flocked around Jesus when they saw him returning from the mountain. And so they surrounded him, and the noise must have made it very difficult to be heard above the throng. But this father would not be denied he was so desperate for his son. So he shouts, Lord, teacher, This frantic father acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Master in his posture and in his petition. 
begging him to have mercy on his son and only child. And I think we need to appreciate a little bit when he said, my only child. In Jewish culture, you know, they had an inheritance custom. And if this was his son and his only child, then he was due to carry the entire inheritance of that family forward into the future. So he had, with this tragic possession, no means to carry on this man's name, to carry on the future of this family. So it's no surprise this is dad. He was done with all this squabbling. He needed help because it wasn't just the physical infirmity. It was also the future of his family that he was desperate for. He describes his son's condition as epilepsy in Matthew, and that word um, only appears twice in the New Testament. The King James Version translates it as lunatic or moonstruck because it was based on the belief that epileptic episodes happened and became more severe with the approach of a new moon. And by the symptoms that they described here in the passages, they could resemble a grand mal seizure that is often uh, symptomatic of epilepsy. But this wasn't caused by any abnormal brain disorder. It was definitely demonic. The father knew it, the disciples knew it, and the scribes knew it. And most importantly, Jesus knew it. Throughout his childhood, this poor boy was literally beaten up by this demon. It hurled him to the ground, convulsed his body, and caused him to act almost like a wild animal. Then to make matters worse, every time the demon departed, this child was left bruised. And the Greek in this particular uh, case, bruised means crushed or broken. His spirit, as well as his body, was being beaten down by this demon. And I just thought about how the enemy knows how to to lodge an attack against us. He starts physically with attacking us, with our bodies, you know, breaking, breaking down our physical infirmities and causing more of those to weaken us spiritually. And if we're not on guard and if we're not prepared with the full armor of God by staying in the word, praying, attending a Bible teaching church and fellowshipping with God's people, we will be just as beaten down as this little boy was because the enemy does not relent. When we start to drift too far away from any of these things, we become weak, vulnerable, and defeated. So the father finally explains what happened, saying to Jesus, I brought him to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not cure him. How disappointed this father must have been, I'm just thinking, you know, thinking that he had had some hope there because we don't know how long or how far he had traveled to get to this place so that the disciples could do a miracle for him. And then I wonder how many times along the way that he and his wife had to quiet his son's, their son's seizures and had to kind of comfort him and bring him into a state where they could continue to travel. He had faith based on what he had either seen or heard the disciples do earlier. Uh, If you go back to Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And verse 13 says, and they cast out many demons. So I'm thinking that this father has seen or heard some of this. However, the disciples in this particular case were not able to help his son. This probably really shook his faith. He must have been conflicted, struggling with hope and distress all at the same time. And I think we all can attest to having experienced that. 
But when you struggle like that, how do you define faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, I looked up the New Living Translation version, which I actually prefer. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Isn't that amazing definition? Confidence and assurance. When we're faced with devastating disappointment, ladies, we have desperate needs or debilitating hope. How does faith function when you pray? In her introduction, Kathy quoted E.M. Bounds, who said, prayer and faith are Siamese twins, and I love that. They're inseparable. They're joined at the hip. Bounds also said that the possibilities of prayer are the possibilities of faith. They go hand in hand, prayer and faith. But what is a lack of faith? Doubt, right? A lack of faith, you would agree, is doubt. When we doubt the possibilities of prayer, we undermine its potential and impose our own weaknesses against the strength of God's power. If prayer and faith are Siamese twins, then Bounds also said doubt and fear are the twin foes of faith. Doubt and fear poison our faith. They pollute our thinking and erode our trust in the Lord, causing us to question whether he is working things out on our behalf and for our good. The primary function of faith when we pray is to give us the motivation to go to the Lord in the first place because we know that he hears us. We don't just talk to dead air ladies. We talk to the living God in heaven, except maybe when we talk to our husbands and children. That may be a little bit of dead air there. But when we talk to the Lord, he's hearing us. The function of faith when we pray is to inspire us to come boldly to the throne of faith that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4.16 says. But why would God invite us to come boldly into into his home, his most holy habitation, if he didn't want to listen to us or help us? I mean, who here invites people to their house and then ignores them once they arrive? That would be rude to be sure, but that's not who our heavenly father is. He cares for us and he loves us. Psalm 6, 9 says, the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. First John 5, 5, 14 and 15 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. We're talking to the true and living God, who in Jeremiah 33 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God invites us to call on him through our prayers. He says he will answer us, which means that he's listening Then he says he will show us great and mighty things which we do not know. That sounds a little bit about like the things that we read in Hebrews 11.1, things that we cannot see help define our faith. He'll show us mighty things that we do not know. And mighty in the Greek means hidden. 
It's similar to what is said, uh, referred to in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10, that I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. That's what mighty hidden means. God loves to answer prayer and reveal the things he has for us. He delights in showing us his will, his plan and purpose for our lives. I hope uh, you guys did get an opportunity uh, during this week's study to read all of Hebrews 11. And, you know, in most uh, contemporary churches, we call that the hall of faith. Each one of those spiritual heroes of faith trusted God for the things that they could not see. Oftentimes in the face of stark realities that totally contradicted the promises of God. But they lived by faith and not by sight that their prayers and God's unseen promises would come together and make a different reality than what their circumstances dictated. And I just really encourage you ladies, adopt one of those heroes in that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You've got Noah. You've got Abraham. You've got Moses. You've got Sarah. You've got Rahab. You've got lots of heroes that when your heart grows faint, when your faith starts to fail, you can look to these heroes and see how they persevered through difficulty, through impossibilities. And you too can have that faith. So the function of faith when we pray in faith is to give us confidence that what we hope for will actually happen to have assurance about the things that we can't see and to trust that God wants to hear from us and will answer us, even if it's difficult for us to see around the corner. We can know that he sees the big picture. The next question that we'll ask is, who is the focus when we pray in faith? And as we go on in this scenario, Jesus shows his frustration and disappointment this time. says, then Jesus answered him and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And I just think this had to be such a strong rebuke from the Lord. Even with all that he had said and done up to that point in his ministry, and he had done amazing things, he still faced unbelief, mistrust, and moral corruption with his people. He was fed up with more than just the lack of faith on the part of his disciples, he was disgusted with the so-called religious experts in particular and the nation of Israel in general. Later in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, he grieves their disbelief and rejection of him. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Israel still lacked faith in God or the Messiah that he had sent to deliver them. They had more trust in their system of laws and rituals than they did in God and his power and ability to save them. But we also ourselves fall short in our faith in God and his complete authority over our lives. I'm sure he is just as grieved with us as when we fail to trust in him. God is to be our focus when we pray in faith. Jesus was asking these these disciples, when will you trust me? When will you believe in me? When will you put your faith in me? All we have to do is look to the word of God to see how often he tells us to have faith and to trust him. 
He says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. Psalm 118.8. And this one we all should know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3.5. He assures us that he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26.3, one of my favorites. And then John 14.1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then Jesus put it so simply in Mark 11.22. He says, have faith in God. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Noreen also uh, shared in her study when she was uh, sharing about the model for prayer um, that as we address our God in prayer, we must acknowledge him as our father because that distinguishes him in our relationship with him and it expresses our need and our dependency on him. God is the one who gave us life, who loves us, who cares for us, who provides for us, and who protects us. And as his followers and his children, we should have a childlike, and I say childlike, not childish, attitude of trust in the Lord. A healthy father-child relationship is not based on fear or doubt. Our Heavenly Father is loving, forgiving, tenderhearted, mercy, merciful, gracious, and patient. Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 11, reminds us of his good intentions toward us, where he tells us to ask him, to seek from him, to knock on the door of his heart, and he will give us good things because he is the good father he wants to be to us. God never goes back on his word or his promises to us. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? We can trust God in all things, ladies, because he's not like you and me who tend to slip and slide sometimes on our word and our promises and make excuses and, you know, reasons why and justifications why not. That's not who God is. He is a keeper of his word. God is to be our focus when we pray and faith because he he is faithful not because we are he is faithful and true and he honors his word above his name he tells us in psalm 138 too ian bounds again who had a lot to say about prayer said faith is not believing just anything it is believing god resting in him and trusting his word uh I just find it so interesting sometimes in the world you run across people who are very positive and they're very bubbly and they're very, you know, optimistic and all is right with the world and, you know, nothing ever goes wrong. And then if you ever sit down and spend any time with these people and you scratch the surface, the veneer of their positivity, you find that there is no reason at all for them to have any hope. Their hope is empty because it's not based on God and it's not based on a savior. Positive thinking is just wishful thinking in my mind because what else could it be if there's no object, there's no focus, there's no center to it. I would much rather be positive about God and who he is and his power, his strength, his supremacy and authority, his majesty, his glory and his love for me. Amen. Didn't we sing that tonight? Amen. That's who we can trust. 
Now, mind you, I have run into a few sad sack little Christians along the way who could probably use a little positive thinking. But as Lynn Perneal shared in our women's luncheon, joy isn't the absence of suffering. It's the presence of Jesus, regardless of your circumstances. That's where we should be focusing our faith. We can be positive when we focus our prayers in faith and trust God as the one who is more than able to meet our needs. Some resources, real quick, I kind of wanted to refer you to and encourage you in are Ann Spangler's daily devotions entitled Praying the Names of God and Praying the Names of Jesus. And the reason why I recommend these two books is because it will help you focus on who God is. Because what it does is takes the meanings of the various names of God, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, and it gives these definitions and these devotions for you to meditate, these scriptures to read on who he is. So you can grow your faith by understanding God's character through his name. And some of the names, and these are just a few, um, the God who sees me, God Almighty, the Lord will provide, the Lord who heals, the Lord is peace, the Lord my rock, my friend, my husband, my bridegroom, my Abba, Father, my physician, the word my redeemer. When we focus on him, when we pray in faith and rest in the most high God, the Lord of hosts, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we make him the object in the center of where our hearts and minds should be fixed in faith when we pray. So go to those places in the word of God, where you can see his name, where you can focus on who he is, his attributes, his character, the things that he is that do not change. God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's where the focus of our faith should be when we pray. And the last question that I ask is, where is your foundation when you pray in faith? The foundation of prayer is built on the word and the promises of God. After dealing with the scribes and his disciples, Jesus turns his attention to this little boy next. And he says, bring your son here to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him as he was still coming, the demon immediately threw him down and convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This demon was well aware that soon his occupation of this little boy's body was coming to an end. So it tried to do as much damage as possible on his way out. It threw him down into convulsions all over again. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This demon not only had control over his son, it also held this family literally hostage. Open fires for cooking and bodies of water were very, very common in those days. So the parents of this young boy would have to be on constant watch to make sure that he didn't hurt himself by throwing himself into an open fire or into an open body of water. Their daily routine must have been nerve-wracking, not knowing when, where, or how the demon would take over their son. 
And it must have been very heartbreaking. I'm thinking for this poor mom to see that her poor little son, her only child, to see him suffer this horrible affliction every day. But seeing how tortured this poor, poor child was, Jesus compassionately asked his father, how long has this been going on? He wasn't asking because he didn't know. He wasn't asking because he wasn't aware. He's the God of the universe. He knows everything. He doesn't need to be informed about our pains and our desperations and our distresses and our hardships. But he asks about our situations. He wants us to come to him in prayer because he cares. One commentator, which I read, I thought put it so well. He says, Jesus wanted the father to tell him the story because he had told everybody else. He had told the disciples. He had told the scribes. Everybody else knew the story. But Jesus wanted to hear from this dad. Because the father was not coming to a power. He was coming to a person. And the miracle ministry of Jesus Christ demonstrated the compassion of God, that he cares and that Christ cares about your pain, about my pain. He cares about our suffering. He cares about the struggle that you have with your children. He cares about what breaks your heart. This is not a power only that we pray to. This is a person, the ultimate one who loves us. So this wasn't asked for the crowd, and it wasn't asked for information. It was in order for this man to unfold his heart and find a partner for his pain. Because Jesus is a sympathetic and merciful high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's who we focus on. What basis, what foundation did this father have to ask Jesus anything? let alone to kind of insult him a little bit. It says, if you can. Here is where we see that that foundation of faith when we pray is solidly anchored in the word and promises of God. The man seems unsure Jesus can help. He says, if you can do anything. But the if, I think, has less to do with whether Jesus could actually help and more to do with the father's own lack of faith. So Jesus told him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Here is where we must trust the impossible to the possibilities of God's word and promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Um, I remember clinging to the word of God in faith uh, for my brother when he wasn't saved. And I remember uh, as I was just seeking God, because that's a desperate situation when someone very close to you doesn't know the Lord and they're living a lifestyle that is destructive and that could easily lead to their death in a moment's notice. And that's, that's the path my brother was on. And the Lord gave me Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I clung to that. I clung to the promise that God can give you a new spirit. He can replace the old with the new. 
that he can take a, a, a stony heart, a heart that's hardened against him and not willing to bend and not willing to submit. He can take that heart of stone and he can make it a heart of flesh, something that's pliable, something that's willing, something that can, can now accept the things of God. And I, I prayed that scripture and I held on to that scripture and I knew that that God's promises were true and God's promises came to fruition. My brother is walking with the Lord so tall that he, I'm just, I cry every time I think about it. God delivers on his promises, ladies. Don't you ever forget it. He is true. He is faithful. He is not a man that he can lie. He does not compromise his word. He honors it above his name. Read the word of God. Pray the word of God. Know the word of God. Claim those promises that are true, that are real, that are from him for us. This dad at this point in time when he cries out to the Lord in his unbelief, he's in tears. But he wasted no time responding to the word of Jesus and his promises that all things are possible to him who believes. I'm sure he probably didn't really even understand everything that that meant, but he was willing and with the help of Jesus to believe all things were possible. So he cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Regarding possibilities, Jesus tells us with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And when promising how he works in our lives, his word says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, coming from Romans 8.28. We can pray in faith based on a foundation of the word of God and his promise that all things are possible and that he's working all things out to achieve the best for us according to his purpose. There are many, many more promises of God And that's why it's so important to be in the word of God every day so you can refresh yourself, refresh your mind and your memory and your prayers with the word of God. God's word provides the building blocks for our faith to grow with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Faith is not an abstract belief in the word of God, a mental exercise, or just being aware of certain facts. Faith grabs hold to the word of truth for us to apply daily in our prayers and in our lives. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith and the word are connected. Jesus could help this father if he took him at his word and accepted the promise that if he believed, not just would healing be possible for his son, but all things would be available through the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon commented on this passage and said that help my unbelief is something a man can only say by faith. While men have no faith, they are unconscious of their unbelief. But as soon as they get a little faith, then they begin to be conscious of the greatness of their unbelief. Faith is like a muscle, ladies, that needs to be exercised. And somebody gave me a Fitbit for a gift for my retirement. I don't know if that was a hint, but I'll use it (laughs) to get more exercise. Faith grows as we read, as we study, as we meditate on God's word. 
and it grows best when it's exercised on the treadmill of prayer. You build strength, stamina, muscle tone, and a stronger heart when you pray in faith. So ask yourself, if you're getting enough of a faith prayer workout, are you exercising your faith daily in the word of God and in prayer? Is your faith exercise routine lacking and unfruitful? There's only one way to build and maintain muscle, and that's by lifting up your Bible and working it out and wearing it out. That's the only way it can be done. Next, we see Jesus, when he saw the crowd coming at him, he commanded the deaf and dumb spirit to leave the boy and not come back. The departure of the demon was so violent, they thought the little boy was dead. But our compassionate Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and gave him back to his father. And I just can imagine him doing that ever so gently because the boy's little body was just so beaten up and limp. And the tears of the father could hardly hold back seeing his son healed and healthy again. And when he had come into the house, his disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we see here that finally Jesus turns his ascension again to his disciples, but in private this time. They were puzzled as to why they weren't able to cast out the demon, because after all, they had done this before. He had sent them out, and they were very successful in doing that. Then Jesus squarely places the blame on their unbelief. Their lack of faith, ladies, prevented them from being successful in what he had called them to do. I'm sure they probably stuttered and stumbled over making excuses and why this didn't work and why that didn't work and what they tried and what they didn't try. But the beauty, I think, in all of this is that the Lord doesn't really expect our faith to be perfect, even though he deserves that. But I doubt if any one of us has a perfect faith. We all have doubts. But God is perfectly holy, perfectly powerful, perfectly loving, and perfectly faithful. It's his perfect faith that overrides our unbelief, our doubt. His expectation of us is imperfect faith because he knows our hearts and our weaknesses, and he recognizes that we are limited and are going to believe with some amount of doubt mixed in. But even with that doubt, Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, That mustard seed was the smallest seed used in farming at that time. So Jesus was basically saying, had they been trusting in his power more and less or not at all in their own, they would have been able to cast out that demon. He said to them again and again, oh, you of little faith. He said in Matthew 630, 826, 1431, Matthew 16, 8, Luke 12, 28. about, O ye of little faith. Their lack of faith in him hindered their prayers, but he tells them that he's not asking for much. He's not looking for perfect faith. He's looking for that mustard seed faith. He's saying that just like us, we're going to have to depend and trust on him completely, even when he's not around. And that's demonstrated and exercised in faith through prayer. 
Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 29, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Ladies, that's faith. That's the faith we carry. That's the faith we're called to. That's the faith Jesus enables us to exercise through the power of his Holy Spirit in our prayers, through our prayers, as we focus on the Lord, as we learn the word, as we call on his name, as we build up that faith muscle in our bodies by working out the word of God, wearing out our Bibles, and if we can, wearing out our knees in both our physical posture as well as our attitude and posture of our hearts. We function in faith when we come to God in prayer because it motivates us to come boldly to his throne, to throw open the doors of heaven, knowing that God is listening to us and that he hears us. God is to be our focus when we pray because we're resting in the most high God the Lord of hosts, that means the Lord of the universe, of all the stars and heavenly bodies that exist. How could you not trust that? And equally important, our foundation lies in the word of God and the promises of God when we pray in faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So be motivated, ladies, to seek the Lord by faith and prayer. Make the Lord the focus when you pray in faith. And develop a firm foundation in the word of the Lord and his promises when you come to him in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, Father, which is the source and the generator of our faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you make these examples so clear and so plain to us, Father, and that you want to hear our prayers, Father. You want to hear our cries, Lord, that we can come into your throne room, Lord, and throw open the doors of heaven and know that you hear our prayers and that you desire to answer them according to your will, plan, and purpose, Lord God. All we need to do is to just humble ourselves, Lord, acknowledge who you are, acknowledge that you are the focus of our lives, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you, Lord, for these examples. We thank you, Lord, for the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And mostly, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the gift of faith that you have given us in Christ Jesus. Amen.